So we have a small intimate group as we get intimate. <laughs> Any questions this morning about anything? Staff, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, that is... Um, <coughs> it's called a staff. It's called in Sanskrit a danda. And uh, it's the rod of chastisement, as it's thought. I think the danda means actually chastisement also. And so... Um, it... Um, is thought to be um, something that uh, in the renounced order is carried and um, the chastisement is not of other people (laughs) but of oneself. Hmm? To um, chastise, so to speak, or keep chaste would be another way of saying it. One's mind, one's body, one's words to the service of Krishna. Hmm? So, um, someone in, in the renounced order of life in the context of bhakti, paratmanishtam is the idea. So, they're, 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 they had nishtam, they're fixed in spiritual life. Parat means, refers to the supreme, in relation to the supreme. And so, they, um, there's a, it's a long uh, and storied history of, uh, of a, um, a order of life that... Um, Tridandi sannyas, the danda, dandi, danda means, tridandi means three. So there's an ekadanda order, which is, ek means one, so there was one, one staff, hmm? and advaitins carry that. Advaitins, advaita means, well, uh, non, non-dual. So there is a school you may be familiar with of Vedantins who are, um, who, um, <coughs> don't acknowledge the eternal individuality of the self. Hmm? They think there's a one self, ultimately, and there's an illusion of multiple selves. And if you come out of that illusion, you become one. And that's what I talk about when I say loving to exist, Hmm? rather than existing to love. Um, Kind of, I would call it like the half face of, of 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 loving because it involves not taking. At any rate, so, so there's there's the ekadandas and then there's the tridandas. The tridandas are uh, is an order that uh, of of renunciation that is um, <coughs> embraced by the Vaishnavas. So the different types of Vedanta. Hmm? Um, there's four basic four four and a half schools of um, Vaishnava Vedanta, and then there's the, uh, the non-Vaishnava Dvaita Vedanta. So, <coughs> so the, uh, the triple staff, the Tridanda order, is something that, um, that uh, has been uh, emphasized by by my uh, Param Guru, my Guru's Guru, Prabhupada's Guru, 
he sought to uh, form an official kind of order of Tridandi Sannyas in within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, uh, drawing on other precedences from other Vaishnav lineages and from the lineage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. And he felt that would be useful um, for uh, sharing the tradition with others to have such um, a, a, a renounced order that would be in the front and have command of the teaching and represented and so on and so forth. So he um, <coughs> introduced in about oh, um, a century or so ago hmm, in modern Gaudiya Vaishnavism this particular um, order and um, and uh, it uh, this, this staff is it's actually you see here there's four so I said three but there's four but um, uh, how's that work there's four and then there's 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 you see there's three here and there's four up to this point hmm? and so this is like the body the mind and the words the three that I mentioned represented here and then this one, the fourth one, comes up to here, and then it comes like this, you see. Hmm. It doesn't go all the way up to here. So the fourth danda, or staff, hmm, or rod of chastisement, represents the jiva, hmm, who doesn't disappear in, in liberation, it's not a, who's not an illusion, hmm, and uh, as per Vaishnavism. And he is um, bowing down, Here's the idea here with the bent piece. So he, he's in supplication. So Jiva is um, represented here as a servant, eternal servant. And he is, um, in this situation, always utilizing that which makes up his or her, well, it's a his order, kind of, but... Uh, but it could be her order, I suppose, to um, his or her uh, uh, body, mind, and words, as we see them here, practitioner's body, we call it a sadaka deha. It's one of the bodies of the Vaishnavas, the visible one. Um, uh, so all the body, mind, and words are dedicated to in, in, in supplication and service, which is what the... Uh, Jiva's uh, position is. So that's the this mystery behind the danda, tree danda of bamboo. And um, so the, those who take that order, then they they carry that as, 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 as maybe you know, needed or required or um, nice, nice ornament and a conversation piece, and, if, if, if nothing else. Um, <coughs> Um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, um, of course, he became a sannyasi at, at the age of 24, which is very young. I became a sannyasi at 25, so I was pretty young too. And I'm 64 this this year, I was earlier this year. So, um, And I uh, was initiated into this order in 1975. So, 30, let's see, how many years is that? 39. 39 years. So, um, 
So we, we follow, in one sense, a, a, a tradition that dates back to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, although the formal Tridandi sannyas and so forth, as they say, has, has been more put in place in recent years, a hundred century past, by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. But the principle, in principle, anyway, the acceptance of the sannyas and and which is generally uh, sannyas is, is thought to be a, a limb of the marg or the path of gyan. Hmm? Sannyas means to give up, hmm? to to renounce. And of course, bhakti is is by contrast from the gyan marg, not really about renunciation. And that's an interesting point. In the gyan marg, gyan means knowledge. So in the gyan marg, we advance by detachment by Ragya, because the corollary of knowledge is thought to be detachment. Hmm? It's understandable because knowing, in really in the full sense of the term, involves knowing that, for example, things, as I often say, are here today and, and, and gone tomorrow, and that an identity and a pursuit of happiness the fulfillment in relation to things that are ephemeral hmm, is not very wise. Hmm. In other words, we are all looking for enduring happiness. If we look for in relation to things that don't endure, we're not going to be successful. That's ignorance. So in a very basic sense, according to Vedanta, this is what knowledge constitutes, that, that to know the ephemeral and uh, passing nature of things, and so in a Gyanmarg, the way that knowledge is is demonstrated hmm, practically is by the detachment in the in in the person who has it. That's that's the corollary, and so they'll tend very much in the Gyanmarg, for example, to um, to avoid uh, ownership of of anything that. Um, that upon losing would be, you know, would, would, would be troublesome. Hmm? Um, and so they're, they're very overtly, it's a path that wherein renunciation is, is, and detachment is how you progress. Hmm? Um, so if, if you get a new pair of shoes, you know, well, it's a, in India it's a problem, because if you go to the temple and you take a few shoes before you go in, and someone may steal your shoes before you come out, you know. If they're new and you really like them, you know, and you know, you've got to, you've got to trouble, you're troubled by that. If it just doesn't matter if they, you know, if you lose them, you know, you know, then it's another thing. So they kind of keep themselves like that. So they're very overtly renounced. Hmm? Sometimes the, the, in the Gyan Marg they wear ashes, <coughs> for example. It's a pretty inexpensive uh, form of, of attire. You know, it brings a little warmth, you know, to to the body and so forth. But hmm. um, so, this is very much in contrast to the path of bhakti. In the path of bhakti, we don't advance by detachment, hmm, by vairagya. In, indeed, we, we we tend to even define the term differently. By rag, hmm, a special kind of attachment. By means kind of special. Hmm. Qualified, qualified rag, by rag, and rag means attachment, hmm? a special kind of attachment, 
is how we tend to define the word vairagya, which means a special kind of attachment. It's attachment to things that are not ephemeral, hmm? like Krishna, hmm? form of Krishna, uh, and things in relation to Krishna, hmm? the leelas of Krishna, the qualities of Krishna. So, so we <coughs> advance by attachment, hmm? not by detachment, um, by sangha, Sangha means, um, like we're having a Sangha, we get together with others, we add on rather than subtract. Hmm? And, um, and, it, and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who started this particular order, he was very fond of the idea of, for example, uh, employing modern technology and sensibilities <coughs> in the dissemination of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So um, he, this was in the 1920s, he rode in a motor car when it was thought that sannyasis should only go barefoot and have no means of conveyance. Hmm? So he said, well, you know, for Krishna service we take, we, we take the motor car and, and, and so on. And uh, so um, a, a very, it's a very, you know, kind of polar opposite way of thinking about things. We pursue love of Krishna. Hmm? And in the context of loving Krishna, just like if you love anybody, you find out, oh, I love you, but you don't like that. Oh, okay, I'm not going to do that again then. I thought you might like that, but I realize you don't like that, so no, I'm not interested in that anymore. Hmm? So we let go of things in the context of loving Krishna. It's almost like an after, it's a secondary thought. It's not a focus. I should give things up. The focus is, I, I love Krishna. I'm cultivating my love for Krishna. I'm finding out certain things are not favorable for that. But the love of Krishna is so powerful that certain things that are not favorable for the marg are not unfavorable for the bhakti marg. Just like take, for example, um, householder life, married life. is not necessarily, theoretically, un- unfavorable for, um, for bhakti. Hmm? Now, in the Gyanmarg or Yogamarg, we talked about Yogamarg, in Astanga Yoga Yogamarg, one of the, uh, is it a Yama or Niyama? It's Brahmacharya, hmm? which means celibacy. As I kind of mentioned last night, there are a lot of fancy interpretations of that these days that are out and about. <laughs> <coughs> Not by Sanskritists, I'm sure, but um, <coughs> to make the yoga Astanga yoga more uh, user friendly as it would be thought, um, but um, but according to potentially the author of the sutras, this is a prerequisite. This is a requirement for practicing yoga. It's mentioned in the Gita also. In the sixth chapter of the Gita is a chapter about Astanga yoga, mm-hmm. and appropriately so. Then the celibacy is mentioned as a prerequisite. In bhakti, it's not a prerequisite be celibate. Hmm? So that's not a, a weakness of bhakti, but it's the strength of bhakti. Hmm? It's something that's so much at the core, which, which, something that makes the world go round, if you will, and perpetuates it and so forth. Hmm? It doesn't have to be abolished hmm? and destroyed. This is a very interesting philosophical Point. And it, it, bhakti is very world-affirming, actually. It's kind of a divine 
divine humanism. That's probably not like an oxymoron as the term humanism is used, but um, but nonetheless, that's what it is: divine humanism. To take look at the human situation and see it as the vehicle for uh, ultimately pursuing divinity. It, it distinguishes us from other species of life. That is to say, not because we just have intelligence, but because we have the capacity to love, do something, do something voluntarily. This this happens in human life. I should just play that out for a moment. You know, in, in human life, we are not as oppressed by the mind and senses. We have a little bit of break from that to think about ourselves, and, so, and we can also think to do something voluntarily. The will is having opportunity to express itself. In the human condition, we're kind of a unit of will. We're a cartridge, a doer, an agent of action, a causal factor in in the in the, in the world, and so we get to make some choices. Material nature doesn't tend doesn't lend to facilitating what we are, a unit of free will. It, it, the Maya Shakti, the material nature, doesn't lend to that. It lends to suppressing that. Because the more we identify with matter, the more we become matter-like, so to speak. And if you look on the scale, and you know, on the chain of being and so forth, you see, well, you know, the further down you go, is there a soul there? Or, you know, is it, maybe not. In a tree, in a rock, you know, uh, and so on. So... <clears throat> The more we are identified with matter, the more what we are is a unit of will. Hmm? Will means freedom. Hmm? It's unpredictable. Hmm? Um, the great Acharya Madhva, he posited that each individual soul is something different about it, and that's why it, it, the, their karma is different. We don't say that each individual soul is different in, this, in that way. We say each one is different from the other, like one atom is different from another, but they're constituted of the same thing. But part of that constitution is will, and will in itself is unpredictable. In other words, if you have two wills, wills are free. That's what I mean by it, free. You could present you know, two choices, three choices to two, two will, units of independent will, and there's there's every reason that they would choose differently because it's, that's such is the nature of will. Do you understand? Hmm? So that freedom that we are a unit of, so it's, it's suppressed by material nature. The more we identify with matter, and you look at, look at, look at, you know, as I, say, as I was saying, the animal species of life, they don't have really the same opportunity to do something voluntarily, to be free. If you have a couple of pets and you call, you know, let's say a couple of dogs and you call them for dinner, you know, you put out the meal and the bowl, they're going to run and eat and they're not going to say, well, you know, I ate first last night, why don't you eat first tonight, you know. Uh, there's a little left over, would you like some more, did you get enough, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. They don't have the freedom hmm, to do those acts of kindness, if you will, hmm, in the same way that we do. And that doesn't make us better than that. It just means that the vehicle we have in human dress, it is less of a of a of a covering, if you will. It's kind of like 
if, if material life was compared to jail, human life would be probation, something like that. You got, okay, now your will has an opportunity to express itself. Let's see how you do with it. Hmm? How you, how you, if you use it wisely and so forth, then, okay, you can, you can progress. Otherwise, you can also go backwards, is the idea. Hmm? So sometimes people abuse their probation and they get incarcerated again. So, so by contrast, though, while material nature tends to suppress will, and it's less operative in, in terms of um, covering, being a, a covering influence in human life than it is in other forms of life, and nonetheless, by contrast, what we call the surup shakti, this is the maya shakti, the illusory energy of, of, of God. Hmm? And it really is. It's fascinating. I mean, it's just material nature. Like I said last night, you know, it's not the ghost that's been exercised. The machine has. What, what is matter? It's just like very difficult to get a grip on that. That's what we call Vishnu Maya. It's, there's no hope. There's no hope. <laughs> Trying to sort that out. Take shelter of the source of Maya. Then you can transcend Maya and, and so forth. And you can understand in essence what the problem is or what the issue is. The details are not of much concern. But anyway, by contrast, as the material nature, if you will, is kind of a is kind of like the the modes of nature, the sattva, rajas, and tamas. It's like three shells, you know, and constantly moving, and you don't know where the pea is. And um, it's a magic show. This is what when when the Raj, the emperor Parikshit, asked the boy Sukadev, "Tell me about the Maya Shakti, material nature. What is it like?" Because I know it's one of the shaktis of Bhagwan, and so the more I know about Bhagwan, the more I, you know I will love Bhagwan. So tell me about this one. And he said, "Well, he said I can tell you something about it. What people say about it, what's commonly thought, what the historians and the Puranas have said in our time, uh, and how they think about it. But really, in essence, it's a, it's a, it's a transformation of the modes of nature, and it's 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 unexplainable and so forth." Hmm? Vishnu Maya. Hmm? And he proceeds with some some explanation. It's in the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam. Uh, and he said that's also in consideration of the audience who's there. It's, it's actually a subtle kind of yogic way of thinking of the world. And, and, and it serves as a type of meditation that will foster knowing of the self in a particular discipline of yoga. Hmm? Anyway, not much to do with bhakti there per se, but by contrast, we have this other shakti hmm, that bhakti is constituted of. We call it swarup shakti. It's like the personal shakti of Bhagavan. If God wants to do something, the shakti is, is like a shadow following him, immediately facilitating. facilitating. Hmm. Imagine if, if someone was just like so close to you, like your shadow. Whenever you started to think, I think I should, you mean this, right? Okay, here it is, like that. So this is the Swarup Shakti, and that's what orchestrates the Leela. Hmm? It's governed under, under, under that in influence. Hmm? That Shakti, by contrast, to, in contrast to the Maya Shakti, facilitates the will of the Jiva. Hmm? It presents, particularly in human life, the opportunity of Bhakti, hmm? and a certain window of Bhakti, uh, Bhakti bhakti-rasa, to go through, hmm? to enter into. Hmm? And entering into that, then, 
we find, this is very interesting, we find in, in the Leela, for example, everyone is centered on pleasing Krishna. Right? That's the idea. And we all see everyone has their own desires. That's very interesting. I find that fascinating. In other words, one cowherd in Krishna's Leela will say, I, I want bananas. I'll say, well, I want mangoes. Hmm? They have their own likes, their own tastes, their own desires. And all of their desires are, are a, a, a part of the composite of what we call rasa. For this example, sakya rasa, friendly rasa. Hmm? And so they're all pleasing to Krishna. And what's the meaning of having a friend? If a friend is just like, you know, just does whatever you want all the time. So it's kind of like, well, it's not quite a friend, you know, it's a little different, you know. You've got to have an argument, you have to have different opinions, you have to have some, <laughs> some different desires and so forth. Hmm? So the, you know, what I'm saying is that this, this self, which is a unit of will, under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, it really is facilitated to be it, to, to be an individual in the context of the Leela. The context is we're all centered around Krishna. And then within that, then there are different desires. And all the desires are, are pleasing. Hmm? It's very interesting. Hmm? So this is very, very different than Advaita, which ends with no desires. Hmm? Marg. We should give up desires of the problem, attachment to things, forges a false identity. That identity should be given up, and the way is to have to penetrate on and think, look, this is not in your interest. This is temporary. Give it up. Go home. Stop thinking. Right? Where is Gopi? This is how they (laughs) teach. She likes likes that one. In the Ganmarg, they say you should stop thinking, and it stops there. And so then you become still and quiet and your individuality that was based on certain desires and attachments is dissolved and you are consciousness and, and that's the end of the story, so to speak. Um, so the bhakti marg is, is very different. Hmm? Um, but all the illusion based on attachments of it is also overcome and destroyed. Hmm? But it has much more positive transcendental, transcendental content to it, and see how I mean it's very it's it's uh, it's 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 very um, it's much more confirming of our experience as human beings. I mean, we do really proceed ultimately uh, on the basis of our experience. It's an ultimate pramana evidence. I experienced it, and therefore, you know, I believe this. Whatever whatever it is, the experience is very profound in determining why we are what we why we do what we do and so on and so forth so the bhakti very much um, speaks to the human experience the, the experience that we're an individual the experience that that love is 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 is, is a wor- wor- most worthwhile pursuit and and that we, we are units of will and and so forth and variety is the spice of life and all that. it's all included within the idea of of bhakti. It's not included in the Gyanmarg. All those things are done away with and that's all illusion and so on and so forth. That, so that, by contrast, is not very... Uh, it's very counter, kind of, in one sense, intuitive to the human experience. Mm-hmm. 
And the human experience is, again, basically the self coming to the fore out of, out of, the, out of the covering of material nature. And it's all about getting acquainted with myself. Hmm? And I have freedoms. Wow. And it's a problem almost. What to do? Too many choices. That's a problem. Hmm? Right? So, 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 so anyway, in Bhakti Marg, we advance by, by Sangha, hmm? by attachment. In Vairagya, the word for renunciation, we define it differently. Vairag, a special kind of attachment. Attachment to Krishna hmm? automatically includes within it detachment from things that are not favorable to Krishna. It's, it's a byproduct. It's a second. Th- it's, it's without thinking about it. So it's a very difficult task, if you will, of renunciation. Hmm? That is the primary focus of the Gyan Marg. Is a secondary thing in in, in Bhakti Marg, hmm? and, it, and it's, it's it's power. Therefore, it doesn't ask us, for example, that oh, you you have to be celibate and live in the forest. Grihetako, anetako, dadahari boledako. Whether you live in the forest, like a sannyasi, carry a tree around like this, or you, you know, or you live at home, hmm? and still in the other situation, your your bhakti is is powerful enough that um, she can deal with it. And this, and this is the, you take the the um, celibacy idea, for example. This is like I said, right at the core of our, you know, being. A human existence and what's make the world perpetuates the world and so forth. And you could take that thing. I talked about it also eating last night. Eating, even more basic to our life than sexual drive, is the, is a necessity to eat. It's like that's okay when it's all said and done. We need food. That's the bottom line. While that and and say sex, these are like. Um, Pushing the world, generating the world, keeping it, go, keeping it, keeping it, um, perpetuating it, hmm? and so you want to say, stop perpetuating the world. Hmm? It's a problem. Stop eating, uh, fasting, um, eating lower and lower on the food chain, so that you become ultimately a breatharian <laughs> in, in a cave. You know, this is, People think like that, and, 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 and they pursue that. Mm-hmm. And then celibacy, for example. So these are attempts to do, eradicate these things that perpetuate the world, which is an illusory world. Mm-hmm. But see, the power of bhakti, it's not afraid of those things at all. It, 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 it can take eating and turn it into something that fosters love for Krishna. Mm-hmm. Right in the context of the whole illusory, illusory world. Hmm? And Mahaprabhu was, uh, made statements like, Mama Janmani Janmani Shri Bhavatad Bhakti Hoyitikitvi. I'm not interested in transcending the world. I'm just interested in bhakti. I have no, I have not even, it's not even a concern for me to become liberated. I just, I'm attached to bhakti and the identity that's coming from bhakti. Hmm? And it enables me to participate in things in such a way that I'm not implicated in them. I'm not exploitive by being involved in them. Hmm? So, you know, we, again, it, this is a very genius kind of thing. You take the food, you, you, it's very ex- much extended and yogic sense of saying grace, for example. Hmm? That's a very kind of basic way of talking about it. 
but in with mantra and certain preparations and within certain you can eat but you know not everything but things that are worth eating and and, and prepared and and, it's, and it should be ideally grown oneself this idea this idea is you should grow it yourself prepare the ground plant the seed cultivate the plant weed around it pluck the fruit wash it prepare it offer it your whole life is consumed you could just eat your way back you know Mm-hmm. through the spiritual world, so to speak. Uh, um, you know, and this is, a, this is a verse, of course, that's commented on along these lines in centuries past where, where there was an agrarian-based uh, society. Hmm? And a lot of sensible people see the wisdom of such of a society today compared to our industrial society and the, the pluses and the minuses, which are yet to be seen and to what extent... Uh, they they might um, what the measure of them may be. Hmm? Um, so, at any rate, you can see for a spiritual lifestyle, hmm? like you you're a farmer, so right, so you can appreciate. It's very um, consuming. Hmm? Grow the food, prepare the food, eat the food, offer the food, and so and and so this whole basic survival bottom line that makes the world go round it becomes something that you, you unravel the world I want to say at the core hmm? and similarly with the with the with the um, uh, sexual propensity you unravel it at, at the core hmm? in the, by indulging in such eating sexual intimacy in the context of bhakti so <clears throat> So that said, then uh, this sannyas, sannyas, giving up, is, is an ungo or a limb of the gyan marg. It's not a limb of the bhakti marg. And here we are, you know, I'm in the bhakti marg, and, and I'm, you know, a sannyasi, so it seems contradictory. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself was, was a sannyasi hmm? at the age of 24. As I say, so just now that you understand all these things, it requires some explanation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, really, this sannyas is is very uh, kind of artificial in a sense in the context of bhakti. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, <coughs> uh, at the age of twenty-four, he had um, he had. He had gone to East Bengal hmm, some years earlier, and he had met Ishwar Puri, hmm, who became his guru. And uh, in Gaya, there he saw the footprint of Vishnu. There's a Vishnu footprint enshrined there, hmm, and worshipped by people. He saw that, and he went into a trance, hmm, and all types of ecstatic symptoms manifested in his body that were very extraordinary. Hmm tears pouring out of his eyes and perspiring blood and hairs standing on end and, and, and trembling and swooning, passing out, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and this is when in his Leela, Chaitanya Leela, he began to manifest himself as a devotee in, in no, I don't know what you say, on no uncertain 
terms. Previous to that, he was called Nimai Pandit as a young boy. Pandit means, well, means a learned person. Hmm? And so he was a very young, but he was a pundit, and no one could defeat him. Hmm? And uh, even he was, as a youth, as a, he was a student of grammar. Hmm? And um, he was able to defeat great pundits who, were, who, who grammar was you know, a thing of the past for, in terms of their study and learning and so forth. So very formidable. He would make an argument and defeat everyone, and then he would, when everyone was defeated, then he would defeat his own argument and, and do this back and forth and so forth. So he was demonstrating that, that, first of all, the kind of the pliability of reasoning. And, and there's a saying in the sutras, Tarko Pratishtanat, that by Tarko, by, by argument, by logic, by reason, you never get anywhere. Every reason can have a counter-reason. And you say, well, that's true for what you say too, Swami. And I said, yeah, that's true. That's we Therefore, reason in itself is not a, a, a means hmm, to arriving at an end. Hmm? We, we teach that. So you really can't, 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 kind of can't get around that. You say, well, that is also can be got around. You say, yeah, well, that's the point. <laughs> that's what we're saying. So you're just demonstrating it and so forth. So, understand? So, um, so he was demonstrating this. <coughs> he was so learned. This is Leela. This is Krishna. Krishna in his Leela as an Acharya. Achar means who teaches by example. So he's teaching how to be a devotee of himself, so to speak. And he's also learning how to be a devotee. What is it like to see myself from that vantage point? This is a very high theological uh, concept. Uh, the highest theological questions in human history we find in Gaudiya Vaishnavism where God is asking the questions. Why am I... Why does Radha see me the way she does? Why does she react in that way? What is it in me that... What is she? Her experience excels my own experience. I want to taste that. It's kind of an ex God in existential crisis, and that we are, you know, a human being. Human life is an existential crisis. That's what it is. Why? What am I? Why am I? So we're troubled by this. We were thought that, you know, we thought that we, we were taught in some places that well, God will answer the existential crisis, and then you turn to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and God is in an existential crisis. So, as I said, it's very human-like, uh, these sleepless. But at any rate, there he was, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the different reasons for his descent and appearance and so forth. And, and we've come into the higher ones in the context of speaking about the lower ones. He, he, he was a Nimai Pandit, and then at a certain point he just abandoned knowledge altogether. Seeing the footprints of Vishnu, he went into a trance, he met his guru Ishwar Puri, he became initiated by Ishwar Puri, he came back to, to West Bengal, and to the amazement of every, everyone, he was now a, a Vaishnava, and of no, you know, of, of distinction, so to speak. I mean, he would, when he would chant, he would get all the symptoms that they say are possible by chanting, all at once, multiplied a thousand times over. So it was very extraordinary. And meanwhile, he kept up his, his teaching, but he taught very differently now. 
he taught that, for example, every word in Sanskrit means Krishna. And people go, what? You know, you know, it's a little extreme. Then he would start to show it and so forth. And, you know, and, and so some of the students then, they, they were um, having a little trouble with, with, his, with, his, with his teaching, these Brahmin students. And um, at one point they found him chanting, Gopi, Gopi, Gopi. And so one of them said to him, uh, you should chant Krishna, 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 not Gopi, Gopi, Gopi. Hmm? Um, because, and if you do that, then then you'll be you'll get you'll be pious, you'll become pious. You know, there's nothing in, in, in the sacred text that say chanting Gopi, Gopi, Gopi. You're going to become pious. And so, what Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Dev was hearing, of course, at the time, this was before he took sannyas. He, he was hearing. First of all, he was hearing what we call nam aparad. Hmm? Aparad means aparata. Rata means actually worship. Hmm? And apa means here against worship. So something against the worship. In other words, it's against the worship of the name of Krishna to think that the name of, of the Krishna and chanting the name of Krishna is something that is equal to other acts of good karma. Hmm? Because it's it's not it's, it it has a transcendental result. Hmm? So they were saying, if you chant the name of Krishna, you'll get good karma. So he was taking exception to this. On the one hand, this is on the low end, and on the high end, he was actually absorbed internally hmm? in experiencing in lila of Krishna, the gopis and the cowherds arguing with one another, one group taking the side of Krishna, the other group taking the side of Radha. Hmm? And, and he was chanting, Gopi, 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 taking the side of the gopis. Hmm? And and someone was telling him to stop chanting, Gopi, Gopi, Gopi. And so he thought they were the opposition hmm, group. And... Um, what did he do? Did he beat them or something? He chased him over with a stick. So he picked up a stick and chased him and so forth. Hmm? Took it down to him. And, um, and so then, then oh, this Nimai Pandit's gone mad. You know, he's beating Brahmins and, uh, and, and so forth. So then Nimai Pandit came to external consciousness and he thought, hmm, this is a problem. I, I came here to teach something. And... I should distinguish myself from the common people in some way that they will um, take notice of me. Hmm? And so he decided to take sannyas, hmm? which in the time would distinguish him from the other people. So the sannyasis, they eat separately a little bit, you know, they, have their, their, they mix a little bit in settings like this, and then they're, you know, they're, they're, they're different from everybody else kind of is the idea. Um, so they've given up society, friendship, love, and, and so forth. So they were universally thought at the time that it would be the teachers, hmm? and, and, and they would get an audience and be taken more seriously, and so forth. If you were white and wearing the white dress, you were a person of the world, and if you were wearing the, the saffron dress, you were of the other world. Hmm? And you would stand out, as much as... Saffron stands out in a field of white, you know, 
and they will go to that guy. So, he, so on a, on, for this reason, he accepted sannyasa, not because it was per se part of the path of bhakti. And not just sannyasa means renunciation, and renunciation is not is a is a result of bhakti. It's not the way; it's a partial result. Hmm? As I was saying, you love Krishna, and so certain things you find that they're not favorable for bhakti, you give them up. Hmm? Um, but so he he kind of accepted the kind of the it's kind of a ruse or kind of a you know a, a, a show of sannyas for the purpose of teaching bhakti. And it was in the same spirit that Bhakti Siddhanta established this order of sannyas hundreds and hundreds of years later, hmm, formally. But you saw the common people that didn't understand Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which is difficult to understand. I mean, uh, it's, it's easy if I'm wearing ashes, you think that guy's pretty special, you know. <laughs> wow, <laughs> we should listen to him. Maybe he's got something to say. He walks around with only with, you know, he doesn't. He only eats on Sundays. Leaves that have fallen from trees the week before, or something. <laughs> you know, he's obviously not material. We should talk to him. Meanwhile, a Vaishnava could be cooking a feast and eating, you know, pakoras or whatever, and uh, and singing and dancing and and um, and shopping for the deity, buying nice things. All, all sagun, all world thing, th- apparently things of the world and so forth. Hmm? Therefore, it said, "Vaishnava kriyamudu bhijnanabuja." It's very difficult to understand a Vaishnava because he or she may move in an ordinary way in the world, but their motive is entirely different. And unless you can t- detect the motive, hmm? and how everything can be done for Krishna, in other words, or everything can be done for myself. Krishnendriya priti mancha. Hmm? Or uh, you know, kamendriya. This is the difference. One is the desire to satisfy my senses, that is called kama, lust. The desire to satisfy Krishna's senses, that is called prem. Hmm? But they could look the same on the face. So Bhakti Siddhanta was understanding in his time that Gaudiya Vaishnavism was misunderstood on one hand. It was misrepresented on the other hand. That's another thing. It's easy to misrepresent Gaudiya Vaishnavism, to have a false pseudo uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? And there was much of that at the time. So he made a mission and he established this order and kind of in the same thinking as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu probably said, he picked certain students, make them sannyasis, and then automatically people would think, oh, there's a special guy over there. We should listen to him. And then instead of speaking jnana, he'd be speaking bhakti, hmm? and teaching bhakti, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, we're really not, you know, we're, it is an intimate circle here. I'm really not that much different than you, is the idea. We're all devotees, and this is a certain service, a role to play, that I have, and you have the role to play, and and um, and <clears throat> and the sannyasis, you know, they think they entered the family of Radha and Krishna, hmm, so to speak, and so they may open temples for Radha and Krishna. They may write books and things. They may be active to some extent in the world in that way, in ways in the Gyanmarg that they won't be. Hmm? So this is a little something about the. Uh, the sannyas order and its history and does that help? Yes. Um, you mentioned many times 
you know, when you're talking about guru, you'll say he or she. Yet we don't really see female gurus. What's wrong with them? Well, that's my point. I just, I'm... Why aren't there any? It seems like we have a cultural bias. Well, the ladies should stand up for themselves. Or the men should stand up for them, too. So I'm no, just joking with you, but... I know you are. I know you are, Guru Maharaj. But I, I just... There's a serious point here which really disturbs me a little bit because I see there are a number of very qualified women devotees. Really? Well, that's what it seems like. And, uh, you know, it would be nice if... if uh, especially in the Western world... From my perspective, there are very few qualified people at all, men, men or women. Right. There may be many people who want to be gurus, men or women, and they're not very qualified. That's a problem. But there are very few qualified people, and, and that's what we would think that would be the case. Hmm? Um, and we don't need a lot. Hmm? One qualified person can do so much. But whether they can be men or women, certainly there can be men or women who's ever qualified. That would be that would be that would be our desirable, and we should we should create an environment where that's obviously un- understood, and and. It's, it's a no-brainer, of course, from our tradition because that's our history. If you look at the history, there are so many women gurus. You just look back into different party bars, different lineages within Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the last 500 years, and nine out of ten of them, if not ten out of ten of them, will have women in, in the lineages. Hmm? Now, you know, there's a big group of Gaudiya Vaishnavas that are uh, members of the institution that, that my guru founded that I'm no longer a member of. Um, uh, and they have a big argument about whether women can be gurus. I mean, I, I don't get it at all because, like I said, it's, it, was, it was decided a long, long, hundreds of years ago. I'm telling you, every single lineage you can look at, coming, lineage coming from Nityananda, from Gadadhar, from Advaita, from this one and that one, I would venture to say nine, nine out of ten, if not all ten, I mean, there's more than ten, but of them, all have women somewhere in, in the lineage. Hmm? Um, so it's, it was, it's not a point of contention in Gaudiya Vaishnavism at all. If you've got some form of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that's kind of truncated from the, you know, it's separate, the branch is tape broken off the tree and then planted in the ground over here, you know, it might be a fence post or something like that, but um, we do that in Bolivan, but but I mean, it's separated from the main tree. It's not. It's we don't we don't want that. Hmm? And then over there, you just you're just redeciding what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, you know, and, and thinking you're the tree and so forth, and just dismissing, dismissing the tree and all the precedences and so forth of the past. I mean, that's not. We're not interested in that. Hmm? So it's not an issue really in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Now there are other religious traditions. Like that one I'm mentioning, that is a kind of pseudo representations of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and that's just one example of it. Hmm? That, that, that should be dismissed. That those people cannot, they're not teaching Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and that's just, I say, one example of it. So, <clears throat> yeah, certainly women, I mean, women can be gurus, men can be gurus. It's not a question of men and women, it's a question of souls being qualified and in either instance they would be they would transcend the gender the distinctions hmm? even the Sri Vaishnavas two of the Albars are women 
Pardon me? Even in the Sri Vaishnava tradition. And they're very conservative, but two of the Alvars. Uh-huh, Aha, the Alvars. Uh-huh. Yeah, so two of the founder of Chattanooga, <coughs> so to speak. Hmm. Yeah, so. So that's a. It's not even an issue inside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and some newfangled, you know, misrepresentation of it. It may be an issue. We should we should avoid those those types of people. Yeah. So I thank you for for that. I have a question regarding Lord Chaitanya. It said that he only wrote eight verses, the Sukshastika. However. We see in Chaitanya Charitamrita he's preaching to Sanatana Goswami, he's preaching to uh, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, he's preaching to Rupa Goswami. What does it mean? Because I've never really understood that. Is it, does it mean that these are specific sedantic verses that are unique, or does it mean that he just really didn't write anything down except for these eight verses? Because it seems like he did a lot of preaching. Um... The Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wrote eight uh, stanzas um, we call the Shikshastakam. There's um, a couple other verses that are attributed to him as well. Jiva Goswami attributes a verse to him in, um, in his Satsandarbha where he says, Shrotam api Upanishadam, Upanishadam, Dure Harikatamrita. Etc. Um, it means that the, the, the sounds of the Upanishads, like Tattvamasi, Hambramasmi, they have Dude Harikatam, very ha- far in terms of ecstasy um, from where, where you can arrive at and experience through Harikata. Mm-hmm. Hmm? And then he describes the ecstatic symptoms and so forth. Anyway, Jiva Goswami cites, attributes it to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And um, there's another verse, Naham Vipro Nacha Narapatina Pivaiso, the Sudro, Naham Banicha Gripatino Banaston Tiva, Kintu Projan Nikila Paramananda Panam Mitabi Gopi, Vatu Sometimes that is also attributed to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That also appears, I believe, in Rupa Goswami's compilation of verses called Padyavali. Hmm? And the Shikshastika, the eight verses, appear in Padyavali, not in a specific order, hmm? but nonetheless with a subtitle, Vipralamba. Hmm? This one, oh, this one, so forth. So <clears throat> we don't know. He didn't. Ever, um, we have no record of him penning any any kind of commentary or any other verses and so forth. Um, and one of the reasons for this, of course, is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself emphasized and is the very embodiment of the principle of teaching by example, because he's Krishna, and so he wants to teach devotion to Krishna. So he sets an example. Hmm? An example speaks louder than precept, as we know. Hmm? And so if you study his conversions as they're described in some of the texts of great personalities on the Indian subcontinent, the Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, the Rajputta Purudra, Venkata Bhatta, Prabodhananda Saraswati, and so forth, he did these not by a really scholastic um, Um, power and so forth, but by in simple ways he converted Sarvabhoma really by 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 silence. Hmm. Then he followed up with some 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 teaching, but he was converted by his silence. He converted Venkatabhuta by joking. 
he converted Prabodha and Saraswati by, by his humility hmm? um, and by his effulgence and um, so forth. So, um, you know, if you really have a lot of content, then you don't have to say as much. That's why I talk so much, because I don't have as much you know, content. Uh, you, can, you can convert by, by content. So, so he was doing this by his example, by his ecstasy. You know, he was obviously very, very compelling and so forth. Meanwhile, Rup Sanatan, they wrote very much about him and his teaching and so forth. And they put into so many books in Jiva Goswami, what is Gaudiya Vaishnavism? I likened him to like a waterfall of ecstasy that they made a lake out of that we could approach and drink from and bathe from and, 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 so, and so on and so forth, take advantage of. They institutionalize in a soft way through literature hmm, the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So your question is that, <clears throat> that okay, he didn't write many things, but in, in, in the book called Chaitanya Charitamrita, he is said to have said this, to have said that, to have done this and had done that. Hmm? Well, this obviously is, this book was written about 80 years later from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time by someone who wasn't personally present, hmm? Krishnadas Kaviraj. And, and his, uh, n- the narrative of the Leela is based on the notes as he says, of Surup Damodar and Ramana and and, and, and Raghunathas Goswami, who lived with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri, and they they kept some diaries, so he had access to the diaries, and on the basis of those diaries and previous books about his life by Brindavan Das, by um, Kavi Karnapur, and so forth, um, he put together a narrative of the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And um, and then he took the division and experience of Rupa Goswami of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about, and then he wanted to teach that. So the Chaitanya Charitamrita is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as experienced by Rupa Goswami. Hmm? That's what he's writing, hmm? and. Um, it, it shouldn't be taken that and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said this and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that, that he's got some like tape recorder or something and he's like recording it. Hmm? No, he's, 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 he, said it, he said it through the pen of Krishnadas and that's good enough for us. We think, yeah, it's been said. Hmm? This is the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we're followers of Krishnadas Kaviraj. <laughs> that's, you know, it, it, it is the idea. And he's followed Rupa Goswami. Hmm? So if you study Chaitanya Charitamrita, you see what it's all about is Manjari Bhava, hmm? how to be a handmaiden of Radha. He, he, he makes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself a handmaiden of Radha in a, in a text yeah, as a means to, to experience, as Krishna, the love of Radha. Hmm? Um, so that's what the book's about. And it's, it's a very it's a particular type of book. It's a, it's a, has a, it's a, you know, there's a genre literary genre for this type of book. And certain things that will be said in it about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you'll find that be said in other books that are written about other people in other traditions. It's kind of a religious bi- biography, hagiography, where you, you know, you, it's, there's, it's not historical. It's, 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 it transcends history and time. And it's written like that purposefully hmm, to show 
I'm speaking about someone who transcends history. And so it's told a little bit, a little chronologically and a little bit unchronologically in places. And you're in and out, and it's happened here, and, ha- and it's, it's, you know, and, you, and then you look at it like history, it's like this, and, you know, linear, and we try to sort it out. And, but, you know, you're supposed to be taken beyond the linear approach to the matter altogether. It's, it's supposed to be a, an opportunity, a window to experience the ecstasy of the time that is Chaitanya. Hmm? And it's very different from our reading of, you know, it's like based on a true story, but some things have been embellished and said and put in his mouth, and so, because what they know. Hmm? That's what he wants to say, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He knows, Rupa Goswami, or Kaviraj Goswami knows, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he would say this, for sure. Hmm? He said it. We, we we're just fine with that. Hmm? We, we're fine with that, because we... <laughs> We understand what is because we are Rupanugas, we're followers of Rupa Goswami, hmm? either internally and externally, or at least externally, in terms of what he teaches about bhakti, Chaitanya Bhakti, the tattva. Hmm? So, so it's not that, you know, like I said, he didn't have Rupa, you know, Srupadama didn't have a tape recorder, and, and then he's playing it back and he said it like this. and and so on. And the problem today is you have, you know, you have unqualified people writing so kind of, for example, Prabhupada, re- recording Prabhupada's um, history and so forth. They want to do it very literally, of course, and so but yeah. you know, it's their, also their interpretation of events and their experience of them, their realization of them is, is there. It's not the same. This isn't what Krishnas was doing. It's a very different exercise. So the book is 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 very like I want to say non-linear and multi-dimensional and it poetry. yeah and it's all po- it's all written in poetry it's it's all Bengali poetry and, and interspersed with ten percent of Sanskrit poetry it's a very um, sublime um, text and you very very much limit your capacity to experience the spirit of it enter into it when you. Um, look at it the wrong way. You, you look at the book in the wrong way. You look at it literally um, when there's really a poetic license here for way of saying things. Like he says at one point, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came from Puri back to Bengal. Hmm? And he was at so-and-so's house, Madhusudan Bachaspati, maybe his house. And so many people came from across the Ganges to see him. There were so many swimming in the river that the rest of them walked on their heads and went there. <laughs> so, you know, this is a poetic license. Like when he's saying there was a lot of people, and they were really, and and, and 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 you're taking it, you know, and you can look at it literally in a way that you just, you know, I want to live in that world where people can walk on other people's heads <laughs> in the river with that kind of enthusiasm, and 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 the people don't mind you walking on my head. You should be, yes, if I can help you to get there, you know, this kind of this is what's being said. This is the feeling of that, and you want to enter into that. Hmm? And you want to think that's a possibility, such a kind of ex- affectionate existence, and uh, and so forth. That's what I was saying last night when, I, when we look at the pictures of Krishna Leela. People want to think, you know, I don't know if that's possible. That time I'm having a hard time with that. You know, what it's saying is, is that in transcendence, there's a realm of affection, hmm? 
How can I argue with that? It's an affectionate realm. Hmm? So if we're affection, there has to be variety. For love, there has to be variety. Hmm? Nuance and so forth. That Brahman, the absolute... I mean, Krishna is Brahman. And as I often say, Brahman is everywhere, so how can it move? If you're everywhere, how can you move? Can you move if you're everywhere? There's nowhere to go. You're already everywhere. But Krishna is moving. Krishna is Brahman moving. And what's causing him? What's making that happen? How is it possible? That's impossible. We've just concluded. If you're everywhere, you can't move. Is God everywhere? Yes. How can he move? So what's making that possible? That is called achintashakti. That is bhakti. Bhakti is making him move. Hmm? In Brahman, there's no bhakti. Hmm? When you put bhakti into Brahman, uh, Krishna comes out, <laughs> so to speak, something like that. Hmm? Bhakti comes from Krishna, Krishna comes from bhakti. Hmm? Uh, this is veda-veda, achintaveda-veda. So, people say, well, you know, who's the cause of the world? God. Who's the cause of God? We say, hmm. Radha. Hmm. Who's the cause of Radha? Krishna. Hmm. Something like that. Hmm. So, so, to, so this, this is what's being said in, in those leelas. And these, these, these depictions of leela in art, in poetry, in song, and so forth, uh, in, in drama, they are limited expressions of what that is. Limited means as, as much as you could say about it in art, as much as you could say about it in, in word and poetry and, and song, and try to put that into um, a form that we could access from our position, get a handle on it. It's that and more than that. Hmm? Something like that. It's only like an outline, like a table of contents or something to the book of what is, of what is, what is Leela. Hmm? And you can see also, if, if you study the Leela Grantas or the Goswamis and so forth, these texts, that they're, they're trying to talk about Vatsalya, about Madhurya, about Sakya, these kind of forces that are the driving forces in the world, expressions of love. Hmm? Even in the material world, these are the forces that drive the world, we would say. Really, the bottom line. It's not gravity or strong or weak nuclear force, but it's what's making the world go round is our drive for love. And it has different expressions, like love and servitude, love and, love and friendship, love and parental love, and romantic love, and so forth. They want to say that these forces, they have their full application and and the full ramifications of them are when, when, when properly centered. Hmm? And so, this is what the, the, now they try to talk about that. Hmm? That's what we call Leela, and then they're, they're, they're descriptions of the Leela. And therefore, the descriptions will be different of events, the same event, the Govardhan Leela. And it's told one way by Jiva Goswami, and then in a different way by you know, another Goswami, slightly different in the Bhagavatam and so forth, because these are, they're, they're trying to talk about something that transcends words, and so it's like based on a true story type of thing, and, and they're, what they're trying to bring out is these feelings. That's what the whole Bhagavatam is about, to showcase these feelings in transcendence, these feelings that govern material life, our human life, drive it, hmm? and showcase the, how that, again, the human experience is so like close to, to transcendence, Hmm? It's, this Gaudi Vaishnava is not human denying at all. It's very human affirming in many respects. Hmm? 
And so the, the art, the drama, as I say, the, the, the song, the poetry, it's all trying to talk about this idea. If you talk about the idea, you think, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm? Then it makes the pictures, which might look small to you, hmm, and culturally, you know, narrow and, and so forth, makes them bigger than what they are. And they are. They are bigger. It's talking about something bigger than the canvas that they're, they're printed on. Hmm? You had a question, Gopi? This is not about the Pardon? Yeah, okay. You know, the nature of the soul. Yeah. Um, we hear that the soul is brighter than 10,000 suns, or this, uh, sometimes I think it's referred to as like a spark. Um, but does our soul have form that's always manifest, that's covered? And we have we have a particular grasp of the Krishna that's to be discovered, but is it that our soul already and always has it? Form. Yeah. No. Um, the soul is described, the Atma, as being in very in all in um, in in terms of what it's not, right? It's not breakable. It's not burnable. It's not. You can't drown it. Um, you can't do this to it. You can't do that to it. Um, it's um, when they say it's one ten thousand the size of the hair. It means well, it's immeasurable. In those days, you couldn't measure one ten thousand the size of the tip of hair. Today, you can. So you could, you know, you you, you want to understand the point. It's imme- it's immeasurable. Hmm? Because it's, as I said the other day, it's, it's a subjective of the world. It's not of the objective world. It is the measurer. I mean, we've talked about that. So it's immeasurable, um, immeasurably small, infinitely small, infinitesimal. Hmm? Rather than saying finite, we say it's infinite. How can the infinitesimal know the infinite? Something like that. Hmm? Uh, if the infinite chooses to make itself known, then you know, it's possible. So <clears throat> it's, it's pure consciousness... And it's, it's, it's a unit of it, hmm? like a monad, a unit of it. It's eternal, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's cognizant, and it has the capacity to love. It is a unit of love, it's an object of love. In this world, it's what's lovable. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, let me get to it, yeah, yeah. So... Now, it has three possible natures, swabhav. One nature is, I'm American, that's illusory. Hmm? That's a swabhav, hmm? constructed one, a made-up one. Do you understand? That it identifies with. It's really not that, hmm? but we may think so. And then its nature is, I am, without any qualification, I am. As soon as you qualify it, materially speaking, you come on the other side, right? So I am. It's the unit of, of, of I am. Now, it has will. It's one of its qualities, too. So as soon as you say it has will, then, oh, it's a, it's, it's a person in that sense. It has will. It means it has choices. It's a way of speaking about individuality. If I say you have will, it means you have choices. Hmm? 
and your choices might be different than mine. Will, as I said earlier, is free. So in, as soon as I say your will, then, ah, oh, it's, it's like a person. Hmm? In the essence of a person is their will, right? What are you? It's what you do, what you want, what you feel, and so forth. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an agent of action. The Sanskrit word is kartrita, agent of action. It means, it, it means it's a unit of will. Hmm? So, now its condition in material existence is that 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 the in the lila of of manifesting the world we call it shristi lila. Hmm? This is the lila of Vishnu makes the world, hmm? and the basis of making the world, if you will, in cycles that have no beginning, that come and come and go, come and go, is that the one decides to become many. So we are the many. So the one becomes many. So many units of will. Hmm? Small units of will. And why? Out of joy. Hmm? Because ekaki, cha, romante, you can't, one alone cannot love, something like that. Hmm? Is the idea. So now, Vishnu has no beginning. Hmm? The souls have no beginning, but sometimes they're asleep within him and sometimes he manifests them, right? From susupti to the manifest world. And these cycles have no beginning. There's no beginning to the world. This is the Vedanta theory. Just like there's no beginning to God and therefore the world's compared to his breath. Out, exhale, the world comes. Inhale, it, 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 it contracts. It exhales, it expands. It inhales, it contracts. And there were, there's beginnings in linear time within cyclical, cyclical time. Hmm? And the cyclical time has no beginning. It has no beginning. Hmm? You got that, right? So just as Vishnu has no beginning, as breathing has no beginning, the world has no beginning, the, the souls have no beginning. They're not, as we talked the other day, constrained by time or space hmm? because they're not matter. All things matter. Matter are constrained by time and space. So consciousness is not. There's no beginning to consciousness. There's no beginning to the world. There's no beginning to karma because the world is the interaction between the jivas and the world. So there's no beginning to that either. Hmm? But there can be an end to karma. Hmm? And by the ingress of bhakti into our lives, which is a blessing, hmm? then the karma influence can be ended. And we as a, as a soul, as an atma, can experience our potential. So I want to say that we are a unit that to define um, comprehensively will have to include our potential. So it's, it's a dynamic thing, if you will, or not a thing, but what we are. It's, it's dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's a unit of, of will, which is free and unpredictable in one sense, and it has a potential. Hmm? So to define it, you have to define it, include within that definition its potential. So when we speak about it in terms of its potential, we say, Jivera Swarupoi Krishna Nityadas. Jiva is a servant of Krishna. Hmm? That happens to take, to, to, to be realized. It's a reality in, that, in a sense that we are always dependent entities. 
That's what that verse is really saying. The jiva is by nature a dependent entity. Hmm? It's not independent. It has will, but it's not independent in its will. It, it has being, but it's not independent in its being. Its knowledge is not independent. Its, its ananda is not independent. It's derived. Hmm? Like the light and a spark is derived, let's say, from the fire. Hmm? So, if, and when, I should say, bhakti makes its ingress into our lives, then we have an environment in which we can be all that we could potentially be. If I bring bhakti to the floor here, it's not going to, you know, to matter. It's not, it doesn't have the same capacity, potential. Matter does not have the same capacity. But if I, if a soul gets the ingress of bhakti, then it has the potential to, 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 to what? To participate in the leela. Hmm? Now, I said there's I am American, and then there's I am. Now we're saying I am a gopi, right? Or I am a gopa. Hmm? That I am a gopa or I am a gopi, hmm? a friend of Krishna or a lover of Krishna, as may be the case, that is based on the bhakti that comes to us through the guru parampara. Hmm? Hmm. That's the opportunity that comes to us. Independently of that opportunity, I am. Hmm? Or I am American, for example. Now, I have been, I am American, or I am a this or that or anything from how long? Since forever, it's illusory. I am always, but I have always been thinking I am something else. Hmm? Not just I am, but I am this or I am that from a time without being. The jiva is tatasta, right? Tata means like the beach. The, the line that demarks the water from the sand. Can you put your finger on it? No, <laughs> but it's there. So you can't. And so the jiva is it's really associated with material nature. When thinking I'm an American, for example, or associated with the spiritual energy, and thinking I'm a gopa or a gopi, or I'm a servant of Vishnu, that maybe, you know, with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's parampara, a special opportunity comes to the jivas. Hmm? Ahankar. Ahankar means I'm American. Pardon? Like a Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, it's sometimes compared like that. We're tied, you know, knotted to an identity that's illusory and so forth. We have to undo that. And I am American. That has to be undone. And bhakti is the most effective way, comprehensive way, and really the only way ultimately to, to untie that knot. But it doesn't only untie the knot, hmm? right? It lets the heart beat now hmm? for Krishna. And so then you have from I am America to I am to I am a gopa. So what is the jiva? Hmm? Well, it, it's a unit of enduring existence, a unit of satchitananda, a unit of will that it can exist in either environment the material environment or the spiritual environment. It's been existing in the material environment since a time without beginning. Hmm? And since a time without beginning, bhakti has been in the world, making itself available. In our time, this Chaitanya bhakti is a special conduit, so to speak, to a special aspect of the, uh, of the spiritual world, the romantic life of, of God. Swayam Bhagavan. That opportunity is coming to us. So, in contact with that, you have the opportunity to be, uh, to be, to have the swabha, the nature of I am a gopi, 
Iramagopa that has been made available to you, and you have the potential for loving that's inherent in you. You are you are you are a unit that emanates from the Paramatma, the Mahavishnu, hmm? and so you have a natural. Mm, what is it said? Sesha, Sesha's cha para parasya. It means it's one of the qualities of the of the jiva uh, that it has an affinity for its source. It means. It's a remainder, satius. It's a remainder of the, of the source. The implication of it is we have a natural affinity for our source. That's what's inherent in us. We have this inherent kind of... So if the opportunity to connect with your source comes, you're naturally you know, you're somewhat attracted to that. Brahma had some affinity for his source. He's looking, in fact, that we look for our source hmm, is what I'm saying. Humans look for their source. They confuse them as to what it is, but they're looking for their source. They have an affinity. We're kind of looking where I come from, what I'm about. Hmm? That affinity for the source, for the paramatma, well, it, it, it reaches its, its zenith when, through Guru Parampara, we come in touch with Chaitanya Vaishnavism. Then you can get connected with the source in a very particular way in terms of intimacy and so forth. You can be, I am a gopi or I am a gopa. Now, that may sound like an acquired nature. It's like I am an American is an acquired nature. But you must say, what am I? You know, myself. But I'm saying to you, you're nothing. But you're, you're a tatasta. So you are a unit that that's, that's, can only be defined in terms of your potential. If I don't speak about your... If I say, okay, the jiva is such and I have not said everything about the jiva. But that's what I am without any other influence. But you don't exist without any other influence. That's what tatasta means. You follow? Hmm? That's why we say to enter into Brahman is a spiritual suicide. Hmm? Kind of. It's a way of talking about it. It's not getting to who you are. It's a way of erasing that. Potential. Hmm? But, yeah. Hmm. So there is not to our To understand the difference between potential and the influence being influenced by time, but the soul is eternal, then one would think it's always a particular nature. It always has a potential, with the the right environment. It seems to indicate a change by time, by influence of time. Right. Um, Well, you know, you're in the world since time immemorial, but you come in touch with bhakti at a particular time and all of that. That's true. Hmm. It's the influence of the environment, not that more than time. Hmm. Just like a crystal will reflect its environment. If you take a you know, you take a quartz crystal, it's clear. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a color of its own. But if you put it in a red room, it looks mm-hmm. rosy. If you put it in a blue room, it's going to look bluish. Yeah, it'll take on, it takes on the qualities of the environment. So and what he's been saying is, you know. We put ourselves in, th- in this environment, and we, s- we reflect those qualities, and we think that's us. I'm this body. I'm an old American man. Um, and but if we put ourselves in, in the environment of the Swarup Shakti, that comes that comes through the channel of Guru Parampara, then we reflect you know, reflect that spiritual environment, and, and then the, the, that spiritual potential becomes uh, revealed, becomes realized. And the difference between the two environments, of course, is, 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 is dramatic because the material environment is, is, is asat, achit, nirananda. It's not 
the, the things are, don't endure, they're not cognizant, and they're not um, uh, joyful, blissful. And we are. Whereas in the Sarup Shakti, you have sort of Ladini, Sandini, Sambi, we have like Satchitananda on stilts, something like on steroids or something like that. And so, you know, there's a that identity hmm, that's formed by association with the Sarup Shakti is a real identity, whereas the identity formed by identification with matter is a false identity. It's a it's a bad fit. Hmm? But if we, you know, have the potential to be a coward boy playing with Krishna in the spiritual world, hmm. and we're eternally an individual soul, then can we, have we not always had that? You've always had the potential. Something like this. Yeah, well, no, something like the, the way that is explained is like this. That cowherd form is called sakya. Hmm? Sakya eternally exists. Madhurya eternally exists. Hmm? It exists in the entourage of Krishna. Sridam, Subal, Leta, Vishaka, Nanda. So, therefore, Nityasiddha Krishna Prem, Sadhika Banoi. Krishna Prem is eternally existing. It's not something that's created at a certain time. Hmm? It's eternally existing. It's not something that's made, manufactured. At one time it didn't exist, and later it will. It's existing. The Bob is existing. When it will make its ingress into you, hmm? well, on its own time. Hmm? But it will, and on its own time. Let's say for, Mahaprabhu himself gives this example when speaking to Sanatan, that your life as a devotee, as a bhakta, as I am a gopa or a gopi, he said, it's like an inheritance. So the inheritance is always there. Hmm? When you will take advantage of it, hmm? when you will be of age or something. Hmm? So let's say I'm living, you know, I have an inheritance, I don't know about it. Hmm? But that's that's who I am. That's my potential. At a certain point, that will be fully realized. Hmm? A seed has a potential to become a rose. Yeah, a seed has a potential to become a rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need the right environment, hmm. the ground and the water and the light and so forth. Um, but bhakti is not inherent in the jiva, though. That that you know, bhakti is a blessing. Hmm. Um, but you have the potential to respond to bhakti in a way that matter doesn't have the potential to respond to bhakti. Hmm? And therefore, and, and so how does it work? So Krishna has in mind how we would like to accept service from you, and he sends you a guru. Hmm? Is that not already bhakti? Isn't that part of the soul? No, no, no. Bhakti, what is bhakti made out of? What is bhakti made out of? What are the elements of bhakti? You know? About three elements. Sandini, Sambit, and Ladini. Bhakti is Sandini, Sambit, Ladini. You know the terms? These three terms, these are the elements that, that constitute bhakti. Krishna Swarup Shakti. 
You know, the Prabhupada used the term the marginal energy and the internal energy. Okay? So there's a difference between the marginal energy and the internal energy, right? Hmm? Is the marginal energy made up of the internal energy? No. Bhakti is made up of the internal energy. Bhakti is the essence of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? That's what it is. So it's not inherent in the jiva. Hmm? If it was, then it can't be covered by maya. Hmm? You see, we have some ananda in us, some love in us. That's what you're saying. Well, if I come from God and God's full of love, I must have love in me. You do. But it's derived love. It's not, we don't, it's obvious. You don't have the amount of love and illumination to, on your own, dispel the darkness of maya. Hmm? Now, the sarup shakti that bhakti is constituted of, by contrast, has not only the power to dispel the darkness of maya, but it has the power to overwhelm Krishna. Right? Krishna akashini. Krishna becomes subordinate to it. That's who, we don't have that in us. Hmm? We can't even dispel maya. Hmm? We we'll speak of overwhelmed Krishna, although we have Ananda. Hmm? We're a unit of Ananda. Hmm? Satchit Ananda. Ananda means love. Hmm? So we need a, like a bigger capitalist for our you know, investment to make it grow, something like that. Hmm? And this is the Guru Parampara comes in because says, I'll lend you something here. Hmm? And Bhakti comes into our life by her own choice. Hmm? And, but we're different from matter and that we have the capacity to respond to that. We, you know, that makes sense to us. We, that, that feels, because we are Ananda too. Hmm? You know, here are more Ananda, more Sat, more Chit. Hmm? And so we find some natural attraction. So you're not becoming something that you're not, but more of what you are. Hmm? To be all that you can be, something like that, you know, is, is the idea. Hmm? Pardon me? When you find that, then you, you, you never return. No. Why would you return? Once you come to acknowledge, you know, is there any option to return to ignorance? It seems to me that, 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 the, that the initial free, free will is taken away by the other gravity. By what? By, by love or something else. Like no, 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 you're, you know, it's, love is freedom. That is, you're in an environment for freedom. Freedom of expression, that's what I said. Oh, they have so many desires in Goloka. Hmm? Why is free? I mean, there's a context. You know, your will is derived, so, you know, okay, you sow the seeds, but you need the rain and the sun, you know. If you didn't sow the seeds, which rain and sun, nothing would grow, but if you, if you sow the seeds and there's rain and sun, then it will grow. So, we have, a, with regard to free will and determinism, we take a compatibilist position in Vedanta, that there's free will in the context of a determined reality. Hmm? That's interesting. Hmm? What, what about it? There's free will in the context of determined reality? Yeah. yeah. Well, God knows everything, right? They say, not a blade of grass moves without the will of God. So then you think, where's the free will? Hmm? So... There's, there's, there's a place for free will in the context of determined reality. That's very special, but I mean, this is God who <laughs> can do those kind of things. 
So, in the context of the surup shakti, in other words, you, Krishna, okay, look at it like this. Krishna can do whatever he wants. God is satya sankalpa. Whatever he wants happens. Hmm. I want it happens. So, okay. So that's complete independent will. Hmm. Now, if, if we kind of join with Krishna by becoming a, a unit that seeks to facilitate his being whatever he wants to be, to cooperate with that, so to speak, then in the context of that, then we can have free will. Hmm? But is it a mutual choice in that, you know, you come from the, the marginal and now you have this choice? You have it on the animal, but it seems to be some take to the right and some take to the left without some kind of a clear condition. How come is that, that some take deep, you know, deep in, in this material suffering and then some, some will go directly? Is that possible? I mean, some will go, some will say, yeah, I mean, will is, will is unpredictable. <laughs> That's the nature of will. I mean, it, it sure, it will have its choices. Of course, in a way that, in a way, bhakti overrides free will by way of, if bhakti shares herself with you, then you've you got a problem, you know, then, then, then you would start to become psychologically disposed towards the reasoning of bhakti in, in, you know, over time. <laughs> You want to know if there's full knowledge to the choice. Before this, you made the choice, you know, that's right. I know. No. I was talking about that example in Jiva Dharma that Bhaktivinoda Thakur gives about the jiva when it's... Are you talking about the origin of the jiva? or in it, You're talking about in this life taking the bhakti, right? You're talking about in the... Are you talking about before that? I'm really talking about the point of... At the beginning, you know, like before... Huh. Oh, there's no, there's no, there's no choice at that point. No, there's no choice there. There's no point in time that material life begins for you. How can there be a beginning to material existence? How can there be a beginning where at one point where, where you, you were doing something else before you? No, that's not possible. Therefore, karma is an adi. Sometimes we talk about it in such a way as to say, "Oh, there's a charm," to emphasize the fact that there's will, but there's no, there's no beginning. There's not some point where you. You began from Vishnu when you made a choice to go down or to go up or something like that. There's no time like that. There's no, there's no, you've been in material existence forever. Now you make the choice. The opportunity comes to leave. If you want to leave, you can, you can make the choice. It's a little confusing if you, if you read Jaiva Dharma, because Bhaktivinoda actually kind of talks like that. But then he says also, he says, but this not, this is, Simply an example, it isn't... Anyway, you have to understand Bhakti Vinod Thakur, you have to understand Bhakti Siddhanta Prabhupada, all these contemporary, more recent acharyas, in light of the seminal teachings that, that form the, the, the basic teachings of the Sampradaya. So if they seem to say something that, 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 that contradicts that, you have to look at it in the context of that and then understand it in the context of that and explain away the contradiction. Hmm? There's different ways to do that. 
Um, so Bharati Vinod has written in some ways in which that's, that's required in his attempt to interface with modernity, with the modern world. Hmm? So he, he wanted to emphasize free will because free will is a common Christian argument for, you know, the theodicy. You know, why is there evil in the world if God is all good? And so he was dealing with contemporary Western society or trying, trying to in those arguments that were then in, 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 in India at the time through the British and so forth. And so he emphasized that side and even once they see it and then they make a choice, they go up or go down, it's just a story. Hmm. You have to understand it logically according to the, to the, to the revelation. If, if, if the soul is eternal, right? I mean, it has no beginning or end. That's a theory, right? It has no beginning or end. It means it's beyond time. It has no beginning or end. Hmm? So how can there be a time when it began to be conditioned materially? What was it doing previously? It was existing. If you say it wasn't in Goloka, it wasn't in Baikunta, that's not a possibility, right? So where was it? So, no, there's no, there's no beginning like that. Hmm. Can't be. What about beginning, but what about manifesting from Paramatma coming out? There's no, there's no, it's just a way of talking. It's all in the present. It's all in the present. You study the Sanskrit, it's all in the present. It's just, you know, you have to talk about it and <laughs> in, 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 in think about it, things that are beyond talk and thinking. So, you know, there's no beginning. Hmm? You say it manifests from the Paramatma. Is there a beginning to that? Well, then there's a beginning. Yeah. With the breathing cycle of Paramatma, but, there, but there's no beginning to the cycles. Right? Is there any beginning to the cycles? There's no beginning to the cycles. So there's no beginning. And you think, well, okay, in some cycles, some souls begin, in other cycles, other ones began, something like that. But, but again, there is no beginning. No, so that doesn't make any sense. That would mean you had a beginning. It means after 35,000 million cycles, in this cycle, this soul was manifest. And then the one before that, that soul was manifest. That would mean that they had a beginning in time. Hmm? But they don't. The whole thing has no beginning. Therefore, there's no new souls and no old souls, so we better get used to one another. <laughs> nobody's going anywhere. So, no, there's no beginning. No beginning. This is beyond comprehension. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I got it, but you know, and and that's what Shastra says. With there are, th- and that's good news. There are things beyond comprehension. That's good news, because if everything was comprehensible by reason, then reason would be the ruling order of the day, and that would be a very static life, hmm? a very boring life. Hmm? Everything has to answer to reason. What is reason? Is that, Why is that divine? Is that effort, uh, a wrong effort right now? I mean, is it to, to comprehend it? Is it a wrong effort? No, 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 no. It's not a wrong effort necessarily. The effort should be what does the, what does the what does Revelation say? Hmm? It talks about some things that transcend reasoning, hmm? that are arrived at by transrational means of knowing. Hmm? Faith means oh, I accept that. Hmm? And now I will adopt the transrational means by which I will know. And if I do that and I know, 
I won't be able to explain it to you. To you means to your reasoning. Hmm? Even if I know it by experience, it, 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 it escapes or transcends the ability to, to talk about it and reason about it in such a way that it'll, fit, it'll like fit between your head. So what has to fit be, between your head is the idea that there are things that transcend reason, that are incomprehensible, and I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm happy about that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to find out about that. Yeah, the effort is, is, in a sense, is towards acknowledging a simple fact. I mean, it's fairly obvious that I'm not the source of everything. That I'm, not, you know, I'm not the center. That I don't know everything, hmm? and that, it, that if I was to know, if if I was, let's say, okay, if you want reality, which is bigger than ourself, I'm a unit of it. Let's say, I, I could say, if I want the whole of reality to make itself known to me. Hmm? How am I going to do that? I mean, I'm a small part of reality. How am I going to fit the whole of it within myself and understand it? Hmm? That seems like, well, I don't know about that. So, so there is a way. Hmm? There is a way. Grover Cleveland said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all the secrets. That's what we call bhakti. Hmm? So we approach ultimate reality with love. Hmm? And then there are secrets that are revealed. Hmm? And then there's a kind of knowing hmm? that transcends what we can know with our, our reasoning and so forth. Hmm? And it doesn't mean we reason has no value, no place. We should reason this far hmm? and think, hmm, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And so bhakti is a whole way of orienting ourselves towards the environment that we... we that, yeah, that that constitutes loving hmm? rather than taking and not just stopping from taking but loving by giving to the center by giving to the center hmm? Krishna is what we call the center just another way of saying it the center of course it's kind of a neat center <laughs> lots of said about about that center and so forth but we are all serving for that hmm? like all the parts of the body serve the stomach and the stomach then makes the energy available to all the parts mystically, like no other part could. Hmm? So this is what bhakti is about. And it's, it's really good to go to the core, like philosophical ideas of, of what it is. Otherwise you hear about something like stories and theories and, you know, and then, then, you know, then they, the, way that, that the way that you try to talk about it and think and reason about it that is limited starts to make sense. And I think, yeah, well, it's a pretty good job of reasoning about something that's beyond reasoning. And talking about something that's beyond beyond speech, hmm? and we feel compelled. I think that our our great acharyas, great teachers, have have done that in a very extraordinary way. And we but we acknowledge well they can only do it so far. The, the task is impossible. The guru has to speak the language of love and translate it into reason. And something is always lost in translation, but not everything. When do I know that I'm exhausted enough now? You know, like, okay, this is enough. Huh. You know, like, I mean, this is enough. Now is the other. The sooner the better. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think you know that when you find good association. When you find in someone hmm, the kind of example and guidance 
that you have to go, well, you know, I have to bow to that. That's pretty interesting or pretty, pretty, I mean, I have to say, repeatedly I keep finding, bumping into the wall of, yeah, okay, you've got an answer for that. Yeah, okay, okay. Then I think I might as well just, you know, take help here. And, and that's really what it's about. Hmm? Through Sadhu Sangha. I think, think that you know at that time, you know, you know theoretically, okay, and now you know you're in touch with somebody who can like, well, who can say it right and, and exemplify it. And, and so we think, I've got a real tangible kind of something to grab onto here. Hmm? A focus point, like where reality is, is, is representing itself to me and speaking to me about its incomprehensible nature and so forth in a way that makes it comprehensible to some extent. So I attach myself to that manifestation of divinity answering to me. I want and I have struggled with these ideas and, and I'm finding it's coming in a very compelling way and, and, and that's available hmm, somewhere. Hmm. And, and they, they, we, should, we should think such, such representation is, must be available. I should try to find it. That's how I pursued my spiritual life. I thought it must be available. And I found a prominent manifestation of that. I attached myself here. There's nowhere that it's coming to me more than here. I attach myself here. This is an example of the center. So let me give my energy to this expression of the center in my capacity to understand what that center is and grow in terms of that. It will be enhanced. And I've had enough. I don't, I, I'm tired of doing it myself. It's like real troublesome. And I'm not, you know, getting too far. So it's a great um, relief. You know, you, you kind of talk about surrender sometimes as if it's like ominous, you know, like, oh God, you know, like, I don't know I want to do that. I can understand that, you know, but, but, but that's not the feeling of really, we surrender because it's like, you know, like, I go, here's a white flag, you know, I've had it, you know, I, 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 I start to think, you know, it might be better to be on their side, you know, uh, if you can't beat them, you know, maybe join them. I mean, they're winning, you know, and, uh, you know, you, the reason you entered the war is because you thought you were going to win, and you were right. And you start realizing, well, maybe we're not right. We're not winning here, and you know, and so you know, I, I maybe I, you know, I could maybe I could wear that uniform. You know, uh, this, there's this change that starts to come, and, and the thinking. Yeah, I said, well, but many people will say yes, but still acting in no way. You know, so why so That's right. We got the dunda. I want this side, and then still like like any, or let's say half half or quarter of it, or and hoping that this will go away. You know, then sometimes you lose the freedom to to self interact. You know, introspection. You lose because you okay. Only there, the knowledge only comes from there, and you, you disregard. Well, we don't teach that. That's a misunderstanding of the teaching. After the act of surrender, you know, you kind of maybe pushing this away your own kind of, uh, you know, effort. No, I think, I don't think that's the case. Do you think, Gopal? Um, well, no, I, I don't. Because, I mean, the act of surrender, I mean, you're opening yourself up to actually the good guidance towards moving much more freely. In fact, and then the effort to, towards independence is one of all types of constraint being driven by the senses and being driven by desires. So it's actually coming out from under a huge amount of oppression, and then you actually can actually can begin to move but under under that. And so sort of that watch why someone cares about me. So I'm working on it. In a new orbit, yeah, and it's, there's a lot of thinking 
that's required. I think hmm? introspection becomes accelerated with that, you know, with, with that kind of, you know, yeah. I don't have to look over here and I don't have to look over there. Right. You look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Have you read any of my books? No. Have you, you've heard me talk, right? Okay, you've heard me talk. I talk very differently than Prabhupada. Hmm? I'm Prabhupada's disciple. I surrendered to Prabhupada. Where I get all these thoughts that seem independent and different ways of talking about it and so forth, very, I mean, my presentation is very different from Prabhupada's. I'm sure you're aware of that. That means I'm thinking. I've surrendered, but I didn't ha- that means I didn't stop thinking. Hmm? I got something to think about. He shared with me, he said, think about this. And I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. And that, and, and, and so forth. And I researched and thought about it and, 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 and talked about, and talk about it. So it's hardly a, a cutting off from, you know, thinking and it's, okay, now I'm going to surrender. Somebody else is going to think for me all the time and so forth. See, you can't think. You, you, you use your mind, use your intelligence in relation to revelation. That's why it's, that's what makes it ongoing. Hmm? Now, there's a point where you've got to learn something. You might be quiet for a while and learn, and then, then a student could say, Go, Paul, what do you think? You know? And then he says something. And then, okay, I, want, I did that because I want to say, See, I want him to think too. Hmm? I asked him to think that what does it mean to you? Sukadev was taught the Bhagavatam by Vyas. Vyas was his father. Vyas taught him the Bhagavatam. Later, when Sukadev came to speak the Bhagavatam to Raj Parikshit, Vyas was in the assembly. He didn't say, I taught that to him. I've got better things to do than to hear him tell what I taught him. He said, I'm going to sit and wait. What, what is he going to say? I taught it to him, but now I want to listen to how he will come out of his mouth. Hmm? This is an example at the core of you know, the, the, the genesis of our whole lineage. Hmm? The teacher who manifested the Bhagavat in Samadhi, in his Samadhi Bhasha, the language of Samadhi, taught it that Sukadev wanted to hear how his student, what, what, his, what he would say. And he sat for all 18,000 whatever it is verses on the edge of his seat. So there's much room for thinking. Hmm? And there's little room, as Gopal was saying, for really thinking and free thinking when we are oppressed by the mind and the senses. This is, gives us an opportunity to relax that oppression of the mind and the senses. Hmm? And use them in a, in, a, in, a, in a very positive way rather than be used by them. It's one thing to use your intellect. It's another thing to be used by your intellect. We can become a plaything in the hands of our intellect and, and think, I'm really thinking, I'm really free, and so forth. But it's, it's really, you really go nowhere. That's still to be, become a, a, a you know, truly thing that, that, you know, to be a disciple is a concern, no? It's something you use. Yeah. I agree. It's this pre-qualification sometimes requires you require, otherwise you may... I, I always think that you sometimes you could break on your own. Not, not your own, because the universe is helping you also, yeah? isn't it? <coughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, she's... To keep us away from this group. Right. So there must be part of, of, of the progress I mean, you know, sometimes yeah. you hear that, oh, this is against us, you know, but actually, if, if you look yeah. at the truth, you will see that it's also, also for us. You know? Yeah, nature is also a teacher. 
Yeah. 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 Well, you know, to become a student is is, is requires a qualification of I think understanding I I need to be a student and it's not a, it's not it doesn't take a lot of thought I think I I know I can learn here this is the subject I'm interested in so there it is and you think well I I also need to be this that and the other thing I know I mean there's no like you know there's no like uh, SAT exams or anything going on here to be a student in this school hmm? it's the this this it's the, the 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 sense that I really I'm, I I am a student next to her. I am a student, and she is a teacher, and she's teaching about what I am interested in, and I want that connection. And and to, in one sense, to think what are the qualifications of the disciple is is to is to misunderstand, because it's in school of grace and so forth. So, what's the qualification for receiving mercy? I mean, you're supposed to be unqualified. That's why you get mercy. But anyway, I think it's it's good to think like that too. It's it's uh, you know you want to make a commitment to the school of thought and a particular teacher and so forth. It's it's it's, it's a, certainly is some gravity should be done should be done frivolously. So then, when there's the mercy of the guru. Which is causeless, also. Isn't it? Well, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. It's a, the Guru is the Kripa Shakti of God, the manifestation of the mercy of God. In that form, he he shows great grace re- readily. Hmm? So, what if one's feeling kind of selfish where it's all concerned? It's like you know, Krishna says, "Well, how do you know? How do you know?" when you just, you know, okay, so like you reach a point where I'm, I just, I feel like I've just been beat to death. And I want to get the hell out of here, and anybody who can help me do so, then I'm willing to drop down to feet, man, because I'm tired. And I want to go home. So what's your question? You know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not so much I mean, that's kind of a selfish, you know, it's not like... It is, yeah. Putting Krishna, you know, first, mm-hmm. it's like, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go, you know, I want to be, I want to be with Krishna, but yeah. yet, I've got this selfish right. we thing te- that's kind of standing in the middle of that, you know, it's like, okay, it's kind of the wrong reason, I think, oh, well. It's the wrong reason, and it's a very, it's a very, it's, it won't help you. Wanting to get out, so to speak... Is 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 counterproductive. <laughs> it's a problem, actually. To want liberation is a problem because it's a it's a misunderstanding of the whole of what you are. You're a servant by nature, so wanting to get out is not wanting to serve. Well, hmm? it's the and, same and you can and, and, that, you know, that, I'm, that I'm a servant and I want to serve. And I want well, to yeah. Serve so in the Best thing is that so you think like that. I want to serve, and in the context of serving, of course, you you'll transcend material existence. But to think that I want to get out uh, is is to misunderstand what out, what's out, and what's in, <laughs> kind of speaking. You know, because by nature we're a serving entity. So so unless we repose our serving propensity in the in the proper place, then we're going to be serving material energy. We're going to be in bondage, and if we want to get out without serving or just stop 
just get out. I just want to get out. I don't care how. Somehow they get out. So then you, you, you're missing what you are, so to speak. So, so we want to get out in the context of serving Krishna, so to speak. We want to, we want to, you know, we want to end the material struggle for existence, but we should try to understand what it is. And then we will frame that in a different way by saying, I, I want to serve Krishna because Krishna is the only way to get out of the ignorance that I'm in that constitutes not serving Krishna, which is full of suffering and I'm tired of it and, and so on and so forth, would be a better way to kind of frame it. But but yeah, I mean, there's. I think what, what you're talking about in one sense and what Krishna is also talking about in a sense is what, what is what is material exhaustion? When do I become exhausted with the with the, with the with the material effort to make the thing you know work and to sort it out and so forth, and one has to does have to reach that point of kind of exasperation and um, that's what this means. But Hare Krishna, you know, mm-hmm. put your hands up. I'm done. You know, <laughs> and, uh, I'll take all the help I can get. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. Yeah, like, there you go. We'll see how much help you've got. We've come to help you. But the physical and, and psychological exhaustion is completely different. Yeah, I mean, you know, the effort here and the effort. <laughs> yeah. Your body might be breaking apart or something. <coughs> oh, you mean exhausted from? Yeah, I don't mean. You cry, but then as soon as the body gets better, we, we forget. Well, uh, that, that's um, yeah. No, it it means beyond physical or psychological exhaustion. It means, yeah, it means I. I've kind of thought it out, and I'm tired of thinking it out, and I can't think it out. Thinking, I can't think my way out of this. I need. It's like if you're in the bottom of a well. So you were in the forest, and there's an old well, dry well, and you fall in the well. Then you could think how to get out, but you know, at a certain point, you got to go help, and that's the way you're going to get out. So someone's going to come, hopefully, to your answer to your call of help. And throw you a rope, and then you're gonna. He's gonna say, "Hold on to that rope," and then he's gonna pull you up. And what, when you get to the top, you don't say, "Man, I really held on to that rope pretty good, didn't I?" <laughs> <laughs> you say, "No, you saved me." <coughs> so something like that. So what's the time? Okay, time for lunch. Time for prashad. Huh? Time for mercy. See, Harikataki Jai, Gorbakdarinda Ki Jai.